Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Heart of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Hallie Tecco, and today we're going to talk about forever chemicals. It's in our water, our food, and so many other products we use on a daily basis, from nonstick pans to popcorn bags to umbrellas, and it's making us really sick. More and more scientists are becoming concerned about PFAS chemicals. This is what we call forever chemicals and the impact that they have on human health. Evidence is growing that links these everyday exposures, particularly to endocrine disrupting chemicals, that they're linked to cancer, infertility, birth defects, asthma, allergies, and more. Today, I'm talking to one of the world's leading environmental health scientists and advocates on the impact of Forever Chemicals and what we can do about it. Arlene Blum is the founder and executive director of the Green Science Policy Institute. In the 70s, she helped ban a harmful flame retardant that was being used in children's pajamas, and she hasn't slowed down since. Arlene, thank you for being here. Delighted to be here with you. Okay, so to set the stage and without getting too technical, what is or what are PFAS? What do we know and what don't we know? So PFAS, it stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, which is quite a mouthful. And they are a class of thousands of man-made chemicals that I think are both the best and the worst class. And they're best class because they're really useful. They help provide stain and water repellency. They make things inside machinery slippery and slide over one another. So they are quite useful in some cases. And they are the worst because they consist of a chain of carbon surrounded by the molecule fluorine and the bond between carbon and fluorine is perhaps the strongest bond in the periodic table. It's virtually impossible to break. So that means that these PFAS molecules, once they're produced for use in products and manufacturing, they never break down. They're on the planet forever. They're called forever chemicals. And even worse, all the ones that we have studied have been found to have harmful effects on humans and on animals. So indeed, there's so much science on the harm of different PFAS 
Virtually every organ of our bodies is adversely impacted by PFAS. So harmful chemicals that stay on the planet forever, that there's thousands of, is a huge worry. Sure. And how do these forever chemicals get into our bodies? Several ways. The common one is through drinking contaminated water. There are a number of, of sites around the country where there's manufacturing of PFAS, manufacturing products containing PFAS. They have been used as firefighting foams at airports and military installations where they just, for practice, squirted huge amounts all over that just went into the soil, into rivers, lakes, the ocean. Uh, So around military bases, airports, and production sites, uh, drinking water has been contaminated in some cases for decades. They also can be in foods. Uh, They've been found in seafood, for example. A a recent uh, FDA study found that a can of bumblebee canned clams had more PFAS that people in contaminated communities would would, uh, ingest in some months. They've taken it off the market, but other foods, particularly seafoods, can have it. And then we can be directly exposed from products. Carpets used to be a big source, carpet cleaning solutions. There was a family that had some of the highest levels ever that they traced back to carpet cleaning solutions containing PFAS. So the EPA recently, like last week, proposed designating two of the most widely used PFAS as hazardous substances, which would increase the transparency around the use of these harmful chemicals and also hold the polluters accountable for cleaning up their contamination. I'm curious, are you happy with this announcement? Do you think it's enough? Do you think it's a good start? So the announcement that two PFAS are going to be considered hazardous substance, it's very good news, but long overdue. These Mm. two PFAS were the main ones used for decades, and the chemical producers agreed to stop producing them in 2015. So they have not been produced in the U.S. for seven years. So they're what's Mm -hmm. called legacy pollutants. One of the big benefits is before they were considered hazardous substances, nobody had liability to clean them up. So if a community, say near a military base, had contaminated drinking water from the military base, military was not obliged to really help the community because nobody said the substances were hazardous, even though everybody knew they were. Mm. So they, knowing they were hazardous for a long time before they got phased out in 2015. So it's at least yeah. 10 years ago, we've known that they were hazardous. We had to wait for this formality Well, the EPA, I think that's the best they can. They have Mm. very high barriers to saying that something is a hazardous substance. And then they usually get sued by the chemical producers to further slow this down. There's a great movie called Dark Waters, which I recommend telling the story of uh, Rob Balot, an attorney who first showed the harm of PFAS in communities in West Virginia and Ohio with highly contaminated drinking water and a lot of health problems. But he felt faced a lot of opposition from the chemical industry. And that makes it hard for the EPA to do anything. They're always being sued by the chemical industry. Yeah, the back and forth. Uh, You know, I'm wondering if instead of waiting for the evidence to ban things, why can't there just be a list of approved substances? And in order to get 
a new substance on that list, the manufacturer has to prove it's not harmful versus the other way around? Well, you know, we do that a little bit. I was going to say somewhere in this program, if you get as interested in PFAS as we are, uh, we have a website called PFAS Central, P-F-A-S-C-E-N-T-R-A-L. And on that website, we have the latest PFAS news, science, policy, jobs, meetings, everything PFAS. But the most popular page on our PFAS Central website is a page called PFAS Free, where we list products that do not contain PFAS. We don't actually test the products, but if the manufacturer puts on their website that certain products, lines of products, or hopefully all their products don't contain any PFAS, then they're listed on this page. And it's not such a long list, I have to say. Okay. All right. So PFASCentral.org. So early in your career, you found that children's pajamas were contaminated with a gene-altering agent, I believe called Tris, uh, that could cause cancer. And you published your findings in Science in 1977. And then three months later, it was banned, which was great. But then the manufacturer replaced it with something equally bad. It seems like... It seems like this is a can be a game of whack-a-mole. Can you tell us about that experience and how that kind of informed your relationships with these manufacturers and how you kind of approach helping them create safer products for us? Well, to change an industrial process is quite expensive. So if a chemical, for example, rominated tris in kids' pajamas in the 70s is phased out, the chemical industry will often come up with a chemical that is similar in structure, function, and toxicity. And that was, in that case, a chemical called chlorinated tris that was almost identical. It's called a drop-in replacement. And if they say to the manufacturer, here, we've got a great drop-in replacement. It's similar in structure, function. We don't really know anything about the toxicity, but it must be fine. The manufacturer is likely to go for it and use it mm. until that one is found out to be similarly harmful. And then the process can repeat over and over again. And as you said, that could be called whack-a-mole or a mm. regrettable substitute. And that's what we have found. If you remember, there was a lot of work to get BPA out of baby bottles, and plastic water bottles, but then the replacement was BPS, similar in structure, function, and possibly even more toxic. I have a quick story on BPA. My my mother worked at a plastic manufacturing plant. When was BPA banned? What year was that? Well, it hasn't been. It's only been banned in water bottles and baby bottles, maybe about a decade ago. Well, she worked in the 70s and 80s um, in, a, in a manufacturing plant. And she had my two sisters before she worked there. Then she worked there and had multiple, I mean, over a dozen miscarriages. And then 14 years later, got pregnant with me and I'm here now. And I've dealt with the same sort of recurrent miscarriage that she had that my two older sisters do not have. So my going theory is that there's some tie between the BPA or her exposures working in manufacturing and uh, with, with our reproductive systems. Can you talk about the tie that we're seeing for pregnant women, young children, how, how these endocrine disrupting chemicals are impacting their fertility and reproductive health? Well, I'm so sorry about your mother's exposure and the quite likely results. So, though you, you don't really know that a specific 
case is caused by a specific chemical, which is what makes it makes it hard. But we know what's the whole population that endocrine disrupting chemicals contribute to a whole host of reproductive and neurological problems. And reducing the use of such chemicals, you know, makes all of us healthier. It, it's like if you have cancer-causing chemical in your body and you have cancer, you don't know that that's the reason. But on the other hand, it, it's not help, not helping your health. And um, we have noticed a huge increase in autoimmune problems. You know, a lot of autoimmune diseases are going up, and that is, again, related to endocrine-disrupting chemicals. So the judicious thing would be to reduce their use. And uh, at the Green Science Policy Institute, our, our goal is to work with some of the best scientists in the world to develop scientific research projects that can point out where these harmful chemicals are used. And then once we get that information, to work with the companies that are using the chemicals to move to safer alternatives. So, mm. you know, it turns out that the chemical industry is very invested in continuing to sell their harmful petrochemicals. They usually are petrochemicals. Mm. But the manufacturers, when they're informed of the harm and the safer alternatives, and in some cases, the chemicals don't even provide any function. They're just there because of marketing and because they've always used them. So when the manufacturers learn about the harm and the alternatives, one being just not using the chemical, they often can move to healthier products. And then that's what we like to do mm-hmm. is, is really help manufacturers move away from the use of these chemicals. Because particularly with PFAS, PFAS are forever. So the PFAS that was used to make your Teflon fry pan or your Gore-Tex jacket is going to be on the planet forever. So, you know, sure. you're whether you want to buy products. And it's often the manufacturing of the product that that is the biggest problem. Mm. And so there's a couple approaches that we're seeing industry take. So one of the approaches is to build up the, the data, the research, bring it to policymakers and attempt for policy change. Another approach would be making it come from consumer demand. So helping educate consumers on these risks of these toxins and using data and have customers demand it. And we are seeing customers demand, let's paraben free products that's becoming important for consumers. But then also things like non-GMO is becoming important to consumers, but that's not really evidence-based. How do you think we as an industry can help consumers know between what is actually really harm and what's just kind of marketing tactics without real concern? I think it really is hard for most consumers to deal with educating themselves about the many, many products that they buy and use. And so our institute prefers to work with decision makers in business and in government. And we have found that working with trade associations could be really helpful. For example, the greatest source of exposure to young children to PFAS used to be carpeting. You know, they crawl on the carpet, they put their hands in their mouth, the carpet's been treated with PFAS. And so we um, brought the carpet industry from Dalton, Georgia, where they're pretty much based, to Berkeley, California, for a one-day meeting with uh, scientists, government regulators, business 
people. And carpet industry had recently done one of these regrettable substitutions. They'd switched from the long chain PFAS called C8, eight carbons, to a short chain PFAS called C6, six carbons. And they kind of came from Georgia saying, congratulations to us. We've switched from C8 to C6. It was hard and we solved the problem. But then they heard from a variety of scientists that C6 was likely to be as harmful as C8. They heard from a number of their customers, uh, big companies like Google and Meta and Salesforce who didn't want any PFAS carpet in their buildings because they wanted healthy environments. They heard from Levi Strauss, who'd stopped using all PFAS. It was just as profitable as ever. And by the end of that day, the carpet industry decided they would stop using all PFAS. And they did. Wow. It, it wow. took them two years and they stopped. Oh, and I should add that also at that meeting what was a regulator from California who said that we're considering listing carpeting containing PFAS as, as a, a product of concern, but that listing is going to take several years. But they knew there was government regulation in the offing. That, I'm sure that helped. But they did in two years uh, stop the use of PFAS in their carpeting. We knew that had happened when we saw ads from Home Depot and Lowe's saying they were selling only PFAS-free carpeting. And they couldn't have done that if all the manufacturers had not all decided no. to stop putting PFAS in their carpeting. And then about a year after the carpet industry was out of PFAS, the regulation finally was enacted listing carpeting with PFAS as a product of concern. And a reporter called me and said, well, what's the use of the regulation if uh, the PFAS is already out of the carpeting? And I said, well, it was the threat of the regulation that contributed to removing the PFAS from the carpeting. But it, government regulation is so much harder than business and manufacturers taking action. They can do it so much more quickly. And I believe yeah. when they're educated about chemicals of concern, they do not want to expose their workers or the public. And a lot of, of trade associations and business, in our experience, have moved away from these chemicals. We'll be right back after the break. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So a major report from the National Academies recommended that individuals who have a significant exposure to PFAS get a blood test and do ongoing medical care. Yet most doctors don't know how to order one of these blood tests, yet alone interpret the results. How do you think we can bridge the gap between the work that scientists like you and your organization are doing and the providers who are delivering care and and starting to see their patients ask for this sort of testing and care? You actually can do a whole test I, I actually did it, a company called Eurofins. And so um, a, a young, young scientist in our group and I both got the home test kit. We pricked our fingers, we sent off some blood samples, and two weeks later, we got our PFAS levels. But frankly, it's really hard to know what to do with these levels. The young scientist who's much younger than I am and a vegan, her levels were extremely low because the older you are, the more years you have to accumulate PFAS and many of the old blood chains will stay in your body for many, many years. So I'm older and um, I ate quite a lot of seafood and, and seafood tends to have a lot, as I said. So I had much, much higher levels than she did. I was a bit shocked because I'm really healthy to see what high levels of some PFAS I have. But frankly, I don't quite know what to do about it. So sure. it, 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 I, it is, I think if you have really high levels, you want to have medical monitoring just to keep an eye out for some of the conditions that could be associated with it. But again, these conditions are across the whole population. So, you know, even though certain kinds of cancer and other things are associated with high PFAS levels, most people will not have those conditions, only a really small number. It's difficult too, because we're given guidance to actually have a Mediterranean diet that's more based in fish and veggies. Um, and, and so you're getting kind of these recommendations from one place, but then if you wanted to follow a diet that is lower in PFAS or other, you know, toxic chemicals, maybe fish isn't the right choice. So I think it's just so difficult to navigate. And as you said, even having that information, well, I, I'm a firm believer that just having the information is powerful and empowering, but it's very frustrating when you cannot take action you can't reverse your life. You can't reverse the exposure that you've already had. You can perhaps limit your future exposure. But as you said, it's more of a population level risk versus an individual risk. I believe that because PFAS are forever chemicals and they stay in our bodies for years or decades and on the planet forever, and they're really hard to clean up and break down. We're not going to be able to clean up our rivers, lakes, oceans, soil. What we have to do is stop using them in products. Hmm. And sadly, for example, I just heard that there's a big Comoros plant in North Carolina that contaminated, terrible contamination in North Carolina. And the community most impacted who's been fighting against the plant and demanding successfully that they not be emitting so much from their smokestacks. They used to emit so much that the trees around it were all coated at PFAS that this community group just wrote yesterday and said that the Comoros plant 
And North Carolina is planning a huge expansion to produce more PFAS. And Ugh. that's what we can do is stop production of more PFAS, mm -hmm. stop the use in products, particularly when the PFAS is not necessary. And, and I will tell you one really interesting story. Uh, there's a shoe company called Keen. They make water shoes. And they wanted to remove all PFAS and other harmful classes of chemicals from their shoes. And when Keen looked at where PFAS was used in their shoes, they found 101 places because it was water shoes. But then they looked again, and um, two-thirds of those places, uh, more than 70, there was no benefit. So they immediately stopped that 70 uses, uh, which is a big improvement, two-thirds. And then the other 30 uses, it took them several years and lots of work, but they were able to stop all the use of PFAS in their shoes. And we did test their shoes, and that's absolutely correct. And Keen actually made a green paper that helps other companies remove all PFAS from their products a lot more quickly and for less cost than Keen did, you know, sharing what they learned. So again, if you Google Keen PFAS green paper, you can share what, what Keen used and other manufacturers, we hope, would be following their example. Yeah. Oh, and I think it's important that we vote with our dollars and support brands that are making the efforts to keep their products safe for our families. So one other suggestion that's made me think of is there are tens of thousands of chemicals out there, and it can take years of scientific research and advocacy to regulate a chemical or phase it out. And the most common thing, as I explained, is that chemical is replaced with a regrettable substitute that's very sim similar in function, structure, and toxicity. So it might seem overwhelming, but we got together with other scientists, business, government, NGO friends who are passionate about this issue of, of these toxic chemicals and everyday products. And we came up with six classes or families that contain a majority of the harmful chemicals in everyday products. And the biggest one is PFAS because there's eight or 10,000 PFAS, depending on how you count. But if you think about a class of PFAS, it's much more optimistic to regulate it than if you want to do it one at a time. So there are six classes and we've made a, a website with very simple four minute videos around each of the six classes and an introduction. So they're all four minutes long. So seven four minute videos is under half an hour. So if people go to six classes, that's S-I-X, C-L-A-S-S-E-S dot O-R-G. They can and we can watch. include these links on the website yeah, right. for people to access. Right, yeah, because that's a way, to, particularly to watch the four-minute one on PFAS. They can learn where the chemicals are used, why they're harmful, and what they can do to reduce their own exposure. Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. I like the way you guys broke that down because um, I think for someone who doesn't have a science background to uh, look at, as you said, thousands of materials that you could potentially be concerned with and how that kind of translates to the products that you're using, the food that you're consuming on an everyday basis. So going to that website, kind of learning a little bit more about it, are there particular products that you really feel like people should avoid and that are kind of easy to avoid? So for example, I was told that just avoiding Teflon pans, avoiding shower curtains, the plastic shower curtains. Those were kind of two products, umbrellas I heard. Are, are there other products that kind of stand out to you as 
something that would be easy to kind of remove from your life that could decrease your risk of exposure? At sixclasses.org, we do list examples, but Mm -hmm. in terms of PFAS, you want to avoid things that are stain and water repellent because they often do contain PFAS. And uh, the PFAS that used to be used is called PFOA, P-F-O-A. And if, for example, fry pans are labeled PFOA-free, they probably have other PFAS. Because remember, Mm. PFOA is no longer made, so everything's PFOA-free. But when companies Uh. proudly proudly proclaim they're (laughs) PFOA-free, I take that as a sign that it's best avoided. But one thing to realize is the PFAS in your fry pan or in your Vortex jacket is a very big molecule and it's unlikely to cause health harm. So if you heat your fry pan too hot or it's scratched, it could be a problem. But a regular Teflon pan used as directed is not a health problem. It's the manufacturer that's the problem. So that the great movie Dark Waters is the story of a Teflon manufacturing plant. So I like to say you don't need to throw away your Vortex jacket or your Teflon pan, but don't buy another one. Because when you buy it, you're creating more PFAS on the planet yep. forever. That makes sense. Yeah, we don't need more in, in the landfills. But <laughs> once once that one is, once you're in the in the market for a new one, get a different kind. What about food packaging? Pizza boxes, takeout containers, microwave popcorn bags. So that is in transition. As far as I know, most microwave popcorn bags still do have PFAS. It's a way to protect the paper from the hot oil, but there are safer alternatives. You you can buy kinds of popcorn, I think, that advertise that PFAS free. And again, fast food packaging used to have a lot of PFAS. We did a study about four years ago, finding PFAS in about half the pizza boxes and fast food wrappers. But after our study, we heard that a lot of the fast food companies started investigating alternatives. And maybe a few months ago, McDonald's and Wendy's and others have advertised their PFAS free. But basically, I I think it's healthiest to avoid packaged food, avoid fast Mm. food. You know, if you eat fresh food from the grocery, fruits, vegetables, without packaging, you're not going to be exposed to PFAS and possibly BPA, phthalates, other things can sometimes be packaging. So that's best to avoid as much packaging as you can. Sure. Great. That's super helpful. Well, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and what ultimately led you to this work? And I also really want to hear about your hiatus from science. So I'm a biophysical chemist and I've always wanted to help make the world a better place. There's a Hebrew expression called tikkun olam, healing the world. And that's always been something that that has been important to me. And so back in the 70s, a friend died who was the country's leading young rock climber. This was on a high peak in India where he stepped through a cornice. And after that, I wanted to do something in his memory to help the world be healthier. And I learned about flame retardants in kids' pajamas, which looked harmful. And so we we did a study and discovered that they went from the pajamas into the children. So chemicals that we eat, foods, drugs, and pesticides are regulated, but most other chemicals have limited regulation. 
So anyway, we discovered that this flame retardant went into the child and it also uh, changed DNA. It was a mutagen. It was a likely carcinogen. It was banned. And then the regrettable substitute was very similar. And that was also removed from kids' pajamas. And uh, as I said, I was a mountain climber. I continued doing adventures. And then I took a big break from science to have adventures, raise a family. And uh, 2006, when my daughter started college, I wanted to go back to science and discovered that the same flame retardant that we helped remove from kids' pajamas was back in the nation's furniture. And uh, in the 70s, it only took a few months to change policy. So I thought, oh, well, I'll spend a few months pointing out the harm of this chemical, just like we did in the 70s, and uh, we'll change the flammability standard so it's not needed anymore. So it turns out things have changed since the 70s and the chemical producers much more active. We, we actually, in the first year, came close to changing to a, a better fire safety standard that would increase fire safety without the use of these chemicals. And, and I think oh, that year and the subsequent years, the chemical industry spent a documented $23 million defeating up regulations to increase fire safety without the use of harmful flame retardants. And in the beginning, I was mm. just working for free. It was like me and my cats versus the chemical industry. But uh, mm -hmm. and I <laughs> founded the Green Science Policy Institute, and we have uh, had the opportunity to help stop the requirement for flame returns in the nation's furniture, which is really a big deal. It used to be the Amazing. foam in everyone's furniture was 5% by weight, a toxic flame retardant that came out. There was a study that the average American kid lost uh, at least three IQ points because of one flame retardant in furniture. Wow. The vulnerable time for flame retardant exposure is during pregnancy. Uh, so there's studies showing that when the mother has higher levels of flame retardants during critical windows of brain development, this can shift the child's IQ, cause other reproductive and neurological harm. So we were able, by using good science, to help change to the current standard, which modestly increases fire safety without the need for any flame retardants. And indeed, flame retardants have been banned for furniture in California and New York State and around the country. So I, And we've also had the opportunity to help stop the use of PFAS in carpeting and other products. So, anyway, so I feel very lucky to have taken such a long break, 26 years from my career, and to come back and be able to do so many yeah. things to help make the world healthier. <laughs> so I have to know, you, and I, I need to show off for you for a second, you led the first all-woman ascent to Annapurna, one of the world's most dangerous and difficult mountains. You completed the Great Himalayan Traverse across the mountain regions of Bhutan, Nepal, and India. And you hiked the length of the European Alps with your baby daughter on your back. Tell me what's harder or what was harder, all those treks or changing the use of PFAS in everyday products. So I have to say that what we're doing now in terms of stopping harmful chemicals in everyday products feels more challenging and more important than climbing some of the world's highest and most dangerous mountains. On Annapurna, you know, we were roped together as a team. 
and our lives depended on each other. If one of us were to slip and fall, you know, it could pull the whole team down. And now I feel like I have a team of scientists, business people, government people, NGOs from all over the world, and we're all together. And our summit is a healthier world with reduced PFAS, reduced flame retardants, reduced chemicals of concern in everyday products. And again, I feel like it's important that we don't slip and fall because uh, really the health of the whole world is at stake and it's so important that we succeed. How can people follow and support your work at the Green Science Policy Institute? Go to our website, greensciencepolicy.org to learn more or go to sixclasses.org to see short videos about the most harmful classes of chemicals. Sign up for our monthly newsletter. Once a month, we put together interesting stories on the science and policy of harmful chemicals that give consumer hints and good science. Um, they're interested also in little mountaineering. They can sign up for my personal newsletter, which is only four <laughs> times a year. So if, if you go to um, greensidespolicy.org, sixclasses.org, or pfoscentral.org, you get an immediate chance to sign up for our monthly newsletters. And if you go to arlingbloom.com, you can sign up for my quarterly one, if you don't like as many emails. So we love to have people sign up and learn more and take action, buy yep. products that don't contain harmful chemicals, it makes you healthier and rewards the manufacturers who have worked hard to make their products healthier. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for the important work that you're doing and for sharing all your wisdom with us here today. Thank you for your very thoughtful and insightful questions. I really appreciated this interview. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health. We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seeley. Our host is Hallie Tecco. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seeley. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.